treasure in earthen vessels. We're that earthen vessel. The treasure that we have is that glorious gospel that can bring salvation to those who are willing to hear. Responsibility and the charge that has been given to us is to carry that gospel into the world. It is, as we also sung, that those lower lights be burning along the shore. Back in the days of the sailing ships in the eastern seacoast, and the storms arose, and long before the technology, radar, and everything else, they used the lighthouses to guide the ships. But there was a storm, and it was at nighttime when they heard the sound of a ship crashing. They encouraged all the residents to take lower lamp, or take their lamps and go down on the seashore and let the lights shine. And that's what would save a lot of the sailors, is that they see that lamp and they had a direction to go in. And pitch black at night, they didn't know which way to go. Because those lower lights were the ones that would save them. And that's who we are. We're the light of the world. We're to let our light shine in such a way that men may see our good works and may glorify our Father who is in heaven. And thinking about having that treasure in the earth and vessel also is a reminder of us what we read in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 11. That reminder to us that, listen, we're servants of God. He's given us tasks to, to go into the world. He reminds us that we are to be like him. He did not come to be served. He came to serve. He came to do that which, from one perspective, was very unpleasant. The humbling of, of himself to be a servant, to do the, the job or the task that was normally assigned to the lowest of servants, as there would be a hierarchy there, and to do it without grumbling or murmuring or complaining. And then remind us that's what, that's what we are. That as we have this gospel, this treasure in this earthen vessel, that as we go forth, we are reminded that again, as he reminds us in the reading, as you can read it, that to one, one souls, one waters. But it's God who gives the increase. The one who souls isn't anything and the one who waters isn't anything. It's God who gives the increase. <coughs> but it's also that reminder as you go down there in verse 9. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. You are God's fellow workers. Working together with God, reminding ourselves the message we preach is his. It is the gospel. It is the good news of salvation. The seed that we scatter is the word of God. The seed is his word. And we're simply the, the sowers of that seed going out, scatter the word wherever we go. And that sometimes is a hard prospect for us or a concept for us to, to grasp and to deal with. Because again, as he would remind the Corinthians, 
What they're not to do is what we oftentimes want to do. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. And it's hard for us to scatter seed and not to want to see the growth or the seed germinate and to, to bloom forth into a plant, a child of God. And then to see that and watch that child of God grow. And it's hard at times to believe again that as we scatter the seed, it never returns into the Lord void. It does its job. The job is to convert. The job is to convict. And oftentimes there are souls that are convicted by what they hear, what is shared with them. Although at the time they're not ready to be converted, but they are convicted. And we never know how long that seed may germinate there, again from the parable of the sower. Scattering on the pathway, knew that's going to be unfruitful basically. On the the thorny soil and the rocky soil, and then in that good soil. We're always looking for the good soil. And that's where we would like to spend our time. But again, that's our perspective in many many cases. It's our perspective as to what we see as good soil. Often mentioned if you were again in the first century, and you were thinking about contacts that you needed to make and people you needed to go and talk to, and being asked to go talk to different individuals, I mean, who would want to go talk to Saul of Tarsus? Uh, to be one of their contacts who want to go visit and to try to converse with him. Doesn't seem like to be a likely prospect. But again, where is the power? Is it in your presentation? Is it in the words that you say? Is it in the attitude that you express? They may all be involved. Again, in Romans 1.16, the power of where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it, the gospel, is the power of God and the salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, none were excluded. Even those that rejected Jesus during his earthly ministry, some of those would be those who would accept him as the gospel was being preached after that day of Pentecost. So it's not knowing, but it's believing that, again, the message is what does the converting. It's showing the message and having a person understand what they have done separates from God, but there is forgiveness and there is hope of a new life. And then they need to see that new life as we live it day by day. And as we read the scriptures, particularly the Corinthian letters, we find out that for, the, for those that were to be the light of the world, they had problems to work with. Back in chapter 1, in verses 10 through 13, they were fussing among themselves as to who they thought was the best of the preachers. Was it Apollos? Was it Peter? Was it Paul? Who would be the best one, or even being of Christ himself? Uh, They were dividing and following one another. And Paul clearly corrects that and reminds them, and it's something that, again, the world needs to be reminded of today. Of what name do you wear? I'm a Paul. And Paul would say, 
Was I crucified for you? Did I die on the cross for your sins? Were you baptized into my name? Then do not wear my name. Do not follow me. I'm just a servant of the Most High God. That's all any of us are, are just servants of God. And how God chooses to use us is, is one of the marvels that he has. That it's not the most eloquent. It's not the most persuasive. Oftentimes it's just the most common person simply sharing a message. What Christ has meant to them. And what he can mean to someone whom they're talking to. And he would have to remind them in chapter 3 that when you're following man, you're, you're thinking on the earthly level. Being fleshly in your thoughts and your attitudes. And it's a concept that we, we struggle with all the way through our lives. Because we're given names. And because we're given names and we're told a little bit about the individuals, we've already have a, have a tendency of elevating those. Could mention Moses, Samuel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Saul, Paul, Peter. And because we know something about them, we've already elevated them up. Thaddeus, Bartholomew, James the Less, we usually don't mention because we know nothing about them. We need to be reminded from time to time that they also were what? Fellow servants of the Most High God. They all had a job. We talk about Andrew at times and said, what do we know about Andrew? Well, the one thing we know is that he went and got his brother Peter. So we found the Messiah. Come and see you. So we have little bits and pieces. And those are there, I think, to remind us it's the, the little things that make the difference. And it's when we've got them elevated, it's hard for us to see them as human beings. And as we're looking in 2 Corinthians, particularly on the Sunday morning class, to, to get to that section now where we're going to begin to look at Paul and to see some of the things that he was going through as that servant of God. And having questions and wanting things different, the thorn in the flesh. Wanting it removed. Finding it hard at times, if you will, to depend or to rely on that, that grace of God, which is sufficient. To sow in the seed for eternity. And it's just simply scattering as we go. And ours is to, to work with them. Again, we're simply servants. We're all servants of God. The servant is not greater than the master. The master came to serve. The master came to serve without broadcasting that that is what he was doing. He simply came 
without the fanfare that we would think of a prospective king having. Grew up in an obscure village. And yet, it's always interesting to read human's perspective on that, of all the things that he had achieved without achieving anything that the world holds in, in high esteem. But simply served. And how he changed the world. And how his people still change the world. You read again, and as we've noted many times, you read the, the scriptures, the letters to the churches, the letters to individuals. You read about the struggles that they were going through. And again, to marvel at what God has been able to do with that gospel. And how he's changed the world and changed lives. And as you have opportunities to talk to certain individuals, you will find out oftentimes, sometimes it is a great preacher that, whose name is well known, but oftentimes it's simply a common person as we would view that, who had the greatest impact on individuals and caused them to change their life around. Servants. And we need to be regarded as such. We're simply servants of God. Paul in the fourth chapter of 1 Corinthians. And in verse 1. Let a man so consider us. As servants of Christ. Stewards of the mysteries of God. And moreover it is required in stewards. That one be found faithful. Regard us as simply stewards or servants with a task to, to, to perform and a life to live. And it's amazing. Again, from the reading, going back to chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. Verse 5 said, Who is Paul? And who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave each one. God provides. I planted Paulus water, but God gave the increase. He opens the doors. Sometimes the doors are long and opening, but he opens the doors. Sometimes the doors are open in ways that we did not expect, but he opens the doors. Paul going to Philippi, being berated while he's there, finally being beaten and cast into prison. But because of that, he had an opportunity. Not so much about what he said to the jailer before the earthquake, but what he was doing before the earthquake. 
in the lower prison, in chains, had been beaten. And around midnight, they're singing praises unto God. Enough to cause that man to rethink where he was. It's the life as well. You're that lower light. Jesus said you're like a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. You're to let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. It's those good works that we engage in. And they're also the sowing of the seed. They're also the ones that open the door along the way. It's doing the little things that may seem little at the time. You think about Saul of Tarsus. Breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the church. Acts 8, 1 and 2. And Acts 9, 1 and 2. Making havoc of the church. After his conversion, he returns to Jerusalem. Wants to join himself to the disciples. And they're a little bit reluctant to want to accept him into their fellowship. But it's Barnabas. who lived up to his, his nickname. Barnabas, son of encourager. Son of encouragement. Who spoke well for Paul. And to accept him into the, the fellowship. You find as you follow the life of Saul or Paul and of Barnabas, you find that it wasn't always pleasant. At times it got rocky. At times it got severe strife between them, enough to separate, at least for a period of time. Sometimes we get the impression that living the Christian life is going to be the bed of roses. After all, we have God on our side. After all, we're about God's business. After all, we're working with God's people. It ought to be a bed of roses. And then you find out all the, human pe- all the Christians that you know are human beings. And they all have strengths and weaknesses. And they have personalities that clash periodically. But we also understand that as Christians... That as brothers and sisters in Christ, we indeed are one because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We are indeed are one because we're added to one body, of which Christ is the head. And so we work through those, as they did and as God's people always have had to do. Sometimes they stumble. Sometimes they needed to be encouraged. Sometimes they needed to be rebuked and challenged to look again. Recognize what you are and who you are. Again, verse 9, you are, we are God's fellow workers. I love that one. We're not just workers together. We're workers together with God. He's working together with us. We're doing His work We have that treasure of the gospel. We have the treasure of God in us, this earthen vessel. 
and understanding that the earthen vessel is weak. And the earthen vessel is always learning. And that's what life is all about. We know that in the physical life. It's a learning process. Sometimes a, what we learn is extremely difficult and extremely hard. Sometimes it completely alters the lifestyle, the life that we live. And things are radically changed. But then we also learn, and regardless of what happens in the physical life, and regardless of the radical changes that may come in the physical life, God has never changed. He's still the same. He still cares. He still loves. He still works with. Still watches over. Gives us the strength that we need. Helps us to fight the temptations that come our way. When we're beaten down, we're reminded that we can boldly go before the throne of grace to receive mercy in the time of need. What a thought. That at any time, that you as an individual have the right and the privilege to step into the throne room of God and talk to him. Let him know what's going on. Let him know what you're thinking. He knows, but he likes to hear us discuss what we're going through. Because sometimes there's a little reminders there. Like the song that we sing, sometimes sometimes I think I've done a lot for the Savior. And then he gently said to me, look what I've done for you. The idea of being workers with God, the idea again in the next part of that is that we are God's field. Not only are we working with God, we're his field, which means he's working in us. He's molding, he's shaping us into a vessel of his choosing. And whatever that may be. And again, we never know what those vessels are. The avenues that he will have us to use to be his vessel. And sometimes there are painful experiences going through and finding out what they are. But the fact is, he is still working in us. And we're his field. We're his building. He's involved in building us up. He's involved in molding us and shaping us. Promise you... Somewhere over there, you can see some of it around. You look at the bricks or the cinder blocks. They're not all the same. When you get to corners, when you get to the end, they're not all the same. They've had to be what? They've had to be modified. They've had to be changed. They had to be cut out to, to add something else in there. So they were altered along the way. They're still serving their purpose, but sometimes in a different way. And we need that reminder to us. We're his building. And there's going to be some changes made as we grow and develop. 
I think about it periodically in the growth perspective of individuals of growing up in California out in the hills. And I always think and thought that six and a half acres of land was monstrous. I mean, it was on the hills rolling up there. We had fruit trees and everything else, and it looked like a big, because we could run all over that place. And then I drive down going home, and there at the corner of uh, the service road in, in Kingswood, there's a sign out that says six and a half acres for sale. And I'm looking at that, and I haven't seen the size of it. I said, but I just know that's not as big as I thought it was. <laughs> Perspective. As a child, it's huge. Talked about before, learning to drive and coming down a, a hill and trying to find a brake on the, the, the old car we were driving before we went over this huge cliff. Uh, where the road came down and it forked two way, or teed into a road and went back years later and I said, erosion has taken its toll on that land. Because that hill, that big hill that we was going to go over was no more than this. <laughs> but at a car trying to find brakes and trying to learn how to drive, it was monstrous. Perspective. We're God's building. What we see is huge and monstrous right now. Will change. Or what we see small and inconsiderate will change. God has that ability in, in working with us. And to see that growth. And it's, it's a joy, you know, to watch the children in the congregation grow and, and change over the years. And to keep reminding themselves, you know, you look at Kirsten and I think about Zoe when she was that age. Uh, you know, it's just those changes that take place as time unfolds. And, and to watch them grow up and then leave home and move on. And we've all gone through that. We are God's building, we're God's field, and we're God's fellow workers. We're servants. Our task is to understand that that's what we are, and to be about the task, and understand that he's the one that works in this field. He's the one that opens doors. Paul would talk about a wide, effective door was open for us. And we had to stay and work with us. We talked about another time the door was open, but I was so concerned about the Corinthians that couldn't stay. I had to go move on to see how they were doing. But he opens the doors, doors that we could not open. He had taken, he's used to his advantage and for his glory. That's the beauty of it, of how he works in, in places again where we go, opportunities that are given to us along the way. He helps us find those souls that are looking, those souls that are struggling. You be the light, and again, those souls have a way of finding you, asking you questions. It's always interesting when you hear somebody say, I've watched you for a period of time. Observed your characteristics. Want to know a little bit more about why you do the things you do. Want to know a little bit about why you have that attitude that you do. Why you do not let the things of the world overwhelm you? Why you do not go into a panic mode when the market cra crashes? Whatever else is out there that we can get ourselves wrapped up in. They want to see the life that you live. 
and that the souls that are looking can find what they're looking for, that they can find the truth. And for them to find the truth, what? You've got to be living the truth. Again, you have to recognize who you are and what it is that God would have you to do along the way. Remember that the power is in the, the seed. You plant the seed and some will water on it. And you allow God to give that increase. That's always the joy, is it not, when you see it come to fruition? But that's our wanting to walk by sight so many times. It's the joy in the scattering. The sower went out scattering the seed wherever he went. That's just, you know, you have to picture that again in that time frame where they had the seed sack on the, on the side of them and whatever else. Of that sower going out with his seed and just simply scattering it just wherever he went. No concern about it. Well, that's all foolish. But the fruit that it can bear. Reminder at times again with the soil. No soil, pathway, rocky, thorny, or good soil, no soil remains the same. It all can be changed. It all can be changed. What is good can become hardened. What is hard can become soft. The thorns can be removed. And the rocks can be removed. All the soils can be changed. And simply because you've got pathway soil and you're scattering the seed there and it seems to bounce off, you never know. In so many cases, I've seen it and others have seen it and read about it many times, handing out literature. You hand it out to somebody. They look at it, they crumple it up, and they throw it in the gutter. And I've known of cases where the person, there's another person who picks it up out of the gutter, picks it up, reads it, contacts and says, I want to talk to you. I read this literature, and I want to know more about what you have to say. And to watch that soul become a Christian. You never know. You know that when you're scattering seeds. You scatter seed out there and what happens? Birds. <laughs> they just seem to know when you scatter seed, they just come. And a lot of things have taken place because they've taken the seed and they've scattered it. And whatever way they choose to scatter it, we leave it there. However they choose to scatter it, and it bears fruit someplace else. And you may not ever know about it. But it does. It's that reminder to us, we are fellow workers with God. We need to let him work within our lives. We need to trust him in working in our lives. The invitation song reminds us that it is softly and tenderly that Jesus calls. The song is beautiful. The message is tremendous. 
often said and always have said that Jesus is that perfect gentleman. He never goes where he's not invited. And he never stays where he's not welcome. But his invitation is always open. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come and learn of me, me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He always has an open invitation. Come. So any time in our life, as we look and see there's a need for a change, be it to become a child of God, be it to renew our life in Christ Jesus again, the invitation is open. The time is now. If you need to respond to that invitation, indeed we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.